Amen. If you have your Bibles, we'll turn uh, to Romans chapter 6. And uh, I'm just going to be speaking on this chapter over the next few Wednesday nights. Romans chapter 6, uh, reading from verse 1 through to verse 14. If you turn there, I'm going to read tonight just from the Amplified Version, and hopefully we'll stay together. Um, but I'll mention the verses as I go through it, what verse I'm on. But I just wanted to do it. I do love the, the King James and the language used. It's something that has been ingrained in us. Uh, but just tonight, in this, these verses, I want to uh, expand them, if you like, just to help us understand uh, deeper and more fuller what uh, the Apostle is saying here. So Romans chapter 6. Amen. Father, we just pray just for your help tonight. Lord, that you would indeed quicken your word. Lord, to our hearts. Lord, would you open it to us? Would you reveal it to us afresh tonight? Some of these scriptures are well known. And Lord, we just pray for a fresh revelation from your word tonight to each of our hearts. Encourage us, strengthen us, Lord. Give us insight, we pray, that in everything, Lord, that your name would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1. What shall we say to all of this? Should we continue in sin and practice sin as a habit so that God's gift of grace may increase and overflow? Verse 2. Certainly not. How can we, the very ones who died to sin, continue to live in it any longer? Verse 3. Or are you ignorant of the fact that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 4, we have therefore be buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory and the power of the Father, we too might walk habitually in newness of life, abandoning our old ways. Verse 5, for if we have become one with him, permanently united in the likeness of his death, we will also certainly be one with him and surefully in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, we know that our old self, our human nature without the Spirit, was nailed to the cross with him in order that our, our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7, it's an important verse, for the person who has died with Christ has been freed from the power of sin. The King James Version says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse 8, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live together with him. Verse 9, Because we know the self-evident truth that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. Verse 10, For, that, for the death that he died, he died to sin ending its power and paying the sinner's debt once and for all. And the life that he lives, he lives to glorify God in unbroken fellowship with him. Verse 11, even so, consider yourselves or reckon yourselves to be dead to sin and your relationship to it broken, but alive to God in unbroken fellowship with him in Christ Jesus. Verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust and passions. Verse 13. Do not go on offering members of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God in a decisive act as those alive raised from the dead to a new life and your members, all your abilities sanctified, set apart as instruments of righteousness yielded to God. Verse 14. For sin will no longer be master over you, since you are not under law as slaves, but under unmerited grace as recipients of God's favor and mercy. Verse 14 again, according to the King James, For sin shall not have dominion or rule or reign over your life, for ye are not under the law, but praise the Lord, we're under grace. Just tonight, just to begin, this is to be dead with Christ, dead with him. He opens in verse 1, chapter 6, with the question, what shall we say then? So Paul poses the question in the context of what he has already been 
teaching us. And so it's important to put the context of the chapter in its rightful place, and then we'll understand fully how we're to respond to the question, what shall we say? It's a question to you after him bringing the great teaching of chapter 5 and previous to that, what shall we say to these things? So chapter 5, if you turn back, the context of it was this great teaching, this fundamental truth, Christian truth, Christian doctrine of justification by faith. What a wonderful truth that is to the believer, to the Christian faith, to be justified by faith alone in Christ. And Paul presents to us the merits of what it is, what it is as a Christian to understand this wonderful truth to be justified, justified by faith alone. The word justified simply means that you have been rendered wholly innocent or holy in the sight of a holy almighty God. That through the new birth, you're justified by faith alone and what Christ has done on the cross for each of us. And then you're rendered wholly innocent or without sin before a holy God. Romans 3 picks this teaching up and starts to bring us through. It's a very well-known verses. Romans 3 and 23. He says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then verse 24, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that there is in Christ Jesus. And so in when you just come into chapter 5, if you just want to pick up on it, and I'll go through it pretty quickly, but in chapter 5, we see the merits of being justified by faith in Jesus Christ. There are great merits in understanding what it is to be justified. In verse 1 of chapter 5, if you're in the chapter, it says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here is the merits of being justified. You have, We have peace with God tonight. Verse 2 says, then we have access by faith into this grace. We have an access into the grace of God, this amazing grace. On down the chapter in verse 17, Paul talked about this grace as the abundant grace of God. So we have peace with God. We have access by faith into this grace, the abundant grace of God. Verse 5, it talks about the love of God then is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost as we are justified by faith in God alone, in Christ alone. We see then the Holy Ghost, the, the love of Christ is shed abroad in our hearts. And this all is possible, it tells us in verse 9, by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been singing about the blood of the Lamb tonight. And so all of this is possible because of the efficacy of the blood, the effect of the blood of the Lamb tonight. We're justified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 9 also that we are going to be saved, we are saved and will be saved from wrath through Him that He has not appointed us, praise the Lord, to wrath. But tonight we have been justified and we have access and we have faith and we have peace with God. We're washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. Verse 10 uses a wonderful word that we're reconciled. This is the wonderful merits of being justified. Now we're reconciled to God. And then in verse 11 in chapter 5, it tells us that we have a joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we all have received, if you're saved tonight, atonement. And this is the wonderful merits of being justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The great uh, fundamental doctrine to the Christian faith. It's not by works. It's not by our own righteousness. But it's by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ. That every one of us that are saved in this room tonight are justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the merits of being justified are so wonderful if we just take those few that Paul brings to us and we start to meditate on them for a time, just take one of them, take it home, take a verse, and just think about it for a time. I have peace with God. That is an amazing thought. I have peace with God. I'm no longer an enemy. I'm no longer a stranger. No longer an alien, but praise the Lord, I've been brought nigh by the precious blood of the Lamb and I've received the adoption. I'm a son of Almighty God tonight. 
Thank God tonight for this wonderful truth of being justified. Listen, isn't it a wonderful thing to know that you have access? Think about it tonight. You have access through the new birth, being justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have access by faith into this, what we, what the hymn writer says, amazing grace. It is amazing. The abundant grace of God that you have access tonight by faith. See how important faith is. The function of faith. To operate in faith. To believe. It's a choice to believe God's word tonight. I make a choice to believe tonight the word of the living God. It's a living word. And so when I exercise that faith in God tonight. In the Lord Jesus Christ. In his full atoning work. In the complete work. In the finished work of the cross. I stand justified tonight before an almighty God. I have peace with God. You know, to have peace with God tonight is an amazing thing. Just to know as you put your head, if the last thing you do tonight is you lay down in your bed and put your head on the pillow and just thank the Lord, I have peace with God. In a world that's in turmoil, living in fear, but just to know tonight, brothers and sisters, no matter what's going to happen, no matter what's going to happen tomorrow, no matter what's going to happen by the end of this night, you know, it's a wonderful thing to have the peace of God. It passes understanding. The Bible instructs us that we are to let it rule in our hearts. That means sometimes we have to, we have to make the stand. We have to drive out the, the thoughts that would come to disturb us or, or, to, or to disturb that peace or the spirit of fear because he hasn't given us a spirit of fear but of power and of love and what a sound mind. And so the peace of God, think about it, the love of God, think about it, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Not a wonderful thought tonight that every believer across this globe tonight that the love of God, the love of God by the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in every heart of every believer all across this globe. That's why when you do get the opportunity ever to travel and you meet someone who's a believer, there's an instant connection. There might be a different tribe, a different tongue or a different color from us or they might say the same of us. But once you start to talk about the Lord, there's the love of God. That's shed abroad in our hearts. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ tonight. You know, we're singing about the blood and, and what the what the blood means to us. And thank God for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to justify a filthy sinner like me. A wretched sinner is justified in the sight of God by the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul brings us in. Coming in the chapter 6, but just before we turn there, if you, if you just turn over to Romans 8 and verse, that great chapter, but just a couple of verses there, Paul later declares, understanding what it is to be justified by faith. In Romans 8 and verse 30, he says these wonderful words, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, moreover, Romans 8 and 30, whom he did predestinate, he also called, and whom he called, when he called us, praise the Lord them, he also justified. Who has justified us? Jesus has justified us. And whom he justified, what does it then say? Them he also glorified. Not wonderful to be justified tonight. He has justified us. Not only has he justified us, one day we're going to be glorified. This mortal body will be put down and we'll be raised incorruptible. We'll stand before Almighty God. We'll be glorified with the saints around the globe. And then verse 31, because of this great truth tonight, then he says this, what shall we say to these things? Paul asked the question again. What shall we say? What would you say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? That's his response. Not an awesome thing. If God's for us tonight, who can be against us? So back to chapter 6 and the opening verse there. Paul says and asks the question again. Now we have the context of the chapter. He asked the question to the believer, to those who are reading this in the years to come, to us who are looking around this, these few verses tonight. He says, believers, Christians, those who have been justified, 
What would you say to these things? What's your response to what you've just heard? Paul goes on then to expound and open up the Scriptures under the wisdom of God and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He brings in the light of that some warning of a misunderstanding or a misrepresentation or a misuse of the wonderful, abundant, great grace of God. He begins to warn. If you note from verse 2 through to verse 11, in every single verse, Paul speaks about death or being dead. Look at verse 2. It says we're dead to sin. Verse 3, we're baptized into his death. Verse 4, we're buried with him by baptism into death. Verse 5, planted together in the likeness of his death. Verse 6, we're crucified with him. Verse 7, he that is dead is freed from sin. Verse 8, we're dead with Christ. Verse 9 speaks of him being raised from death that dies no more and that he died, verse 10, unto sin once. And then verse 11, he brings it back and puts the onus upon the individual and says, so reckon yourselves to be, what? Dead. There's a lot of death. The context then is of this justification, then he brings us into this understanding of what it is to be dead with Christ. I believe that this is one of the most crucial doctrines and understanding of a Christian life, to live a Christian life, to understand what it is to be dead with Christ, to know what it is to be dead with Christ. An awful lot of struggles, an awful lot of failure, and an awful lot of struggles an awful lot of time is being put in today to so many to live in that place of victory in Jesus Christ. But first of all, we need to come back to really what it means to be dead with Christ. This is really where the victory really is, to be dead with Christ. In verse 3 he says, Know ye not? Romans 6 and 3. Do you not know this? That's what he's asking. That so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ. Were, what were we? We were baptized into his death. Now this isn't speaking of water baptism, which is a symbol, symbolism of what has already happened spiritually and in obedience to the Lord. But he's asking the question, do you not know that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Listen, I believe, and I, I, I honestly, I believe that this is going to help someone tonight just to understand in the struggle of, of a Christian life against that which is the flesh, as Paul goes on to talk about the war between the flesh and the spirit, or someone is maybe battling with sin and failure, or trying to function in the power of your own flesh that brings forth death and, and defeat, there is a victory when we understand what it is to be dead with Christ. There is a wonderful revelation because there is the, the, the resurrection, there's the burying, and then there's the resurrection, and then there's the walking in the newness of life. We all are wanting to walk in the victory and then the newness of life that there is in Jesus Christ. We all want to understand, to live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. But before we come to the resurrection and walking in the victory, we must know what it is to die. We must know what it is to die, to be dead with Christ. So he says here that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ. So when or what does it mean to be baptized into Jesus Christ? When you were born of the Spirit of God. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. And here we find that by the born again experience, when we were new creatures in Jesus, 
born of the Spirit, by faith in Christ alone, repented of our sin, put our trust and faith in him. At that moment, we were baptized into the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, it tells us there, Paul writing again, for by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. That's one body universal in this earth tonight. Everyone that's born of the Spirit of God have been baptized. That's what it means, baptized into Jesus Christ. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. We're all drinking from the same Spirit, and that's a fountain that shall never, ever, ever, ever run dry. We're all drinking from the fountain that shall... We sing it, don't we? But it's the truth. We're drinking from the fountain that shall never run dry. Not only do we drink from it, but Jesus says that out of our innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. This is the Spirit of the living God. So here we're baptized into one body. Through the born-again experience, we're baptized into his death. The death... The death of Christ's body on the cross is significant in understanding what it means to be dead, to be dead with Christ. This is all in the merits of being justified by faith. The law is crucial here. The law. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 17, the Old Testament law I'm, I'm speaking of, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but what did he say? But to fulfill. That word means to complete the law. In Jesus Christ, in his life and in his body, Christ fulfilled all the obligations of the Old Testament law. In his life, he fulfilled it because he lived a sinless and a spotless life. He met every requirement of the law. They could find no fault in him. He is the sinless, spotless lamb of God. There was no guile in his mouth. He is pure, holy, in every point he was tried and tested, yet, what does the Bible say? Without sin. It is true, there's nobody like Jesus. There's simply no one like the Lord. So in his life, he met every obligation of the law. Everything of the law of the Old Testament, they could find no fault. The Pharisees tried and tested him, tried to trick him with all manners of questions and debate. But in everything, they found no fault in him. He met all the obligations of the law. No fault was found. In his death, in his death, as we're reading in Romans chapter 6, because of his death as the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, Christ loosed us from the dominion and the power of sin and death. And so through faith in him and and, and, and in his death and resurrection, when we die with him, we are loosed and raised in newness of life. The law has a profound effect. It is necessary. It is a profound effect on all men. Remember what Paul tells us concerning the law. Colossians 2 and verse 14 tells us there, if you turn over Paul writing about the law, it says, that through the cross, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and was contrary to us. So we read here that the law, that there is ordinances outside of Christ, ordinances that's against us and contrary to us. But when Christ died on the cross, he took that out of the way and nailed them to his own cross. Through his body. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. This is what he says. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Has made me free. What from? From the law of sin and death. 
So outside of Christ, we see that there are handwriting of ordinances against us. They're contrary to us. We see that there is a law of sin and death that works in us. Now in Galatians chapter 3 verse 10, if you turn over verses 10 to verse 14, we're looking at the law for a moment. Galatians 3 and 10, uh, 10 through to 14, For as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. So here we read, remember, there's ordinances, handwriting of ordinances that's against us, contrary to us. There's the law of sin and death. And now we see the works of the law being under that. We're under the curse of the law. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. So we know that we fall short. All have sinned and come, what does it say? Short. We don't meet the standard. Christ himself and his life was absolutely perfect. He is the sinless, spotless one, living, he loved me. Remember the lovely chorus, living, he loved me, dying. What's the words again? Living, he loved me, dying, he buried, he my sins for rising freely forever. One day is coming, O glorious day. So here we're reading in Galatians 3. For as many as are of the works of the Lord are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. We thank God tonight that he was tried in all points, yet he was without sin. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. The man that doeth them shall live in them. But praise God, verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham may come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. There's one man fulfilled all the obligations of the law in his life. That man is Jesus. When we are baptized with him unto death, when we by faith put our trust in him, because the obligations were fulfilled in his life, in his death, then he looses us from the obligation of an Old Testament law that we are no longer under a curse. We are no longer under the law of sin and death. But we, by faith in Jesus Christ alone and are baptized into the body of Christ, are freed from that obligation and death and sin no longer has a hold on our lives. We are free in Jesus. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. As many as receive him to them, give him the power to become the sons of God. And now there's a power that comes into that life. And faith in Jesus Christ and him alone, we are justified by faith. Not only are we justified, but now when we are dead with him, we are loosed from the obligation of that law. Look what it says in Romans uh, chapter 7 and verse 1. Romans 7 and verse 1. Now this is important when Paul then brings more teaching on understanding how we are free in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, we're reading from verse 1, uh, and we'll work our way through these verses, but it, it gives us the insight. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. How that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman, verse 2, which had the husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. Now, what do we say when we're married till death? James and Emma are about to say this in a couple of weeks. Till death do us. Is that not what we say? But understand what Paul's saying here. For the woman 
which had the husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband is dead, what happens? When there's a death, she is loosed from the law. You see how Paul's bringing it through? She is loosed from the law of her husband. So then while her husband liveth, if she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if the husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, taking this understanding, this analogy, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law. See what he says, by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith is in him and in him alone. So we are now loosed from the obligations of the law because he has fulfilled it in his life. And through his death, we are married to another. We are dead to the law. And sin then has no stronghold or dominion over us. It will not be our master. So here we see it. That you should be married to another. Verse 5 says, For when we were in the flesh and the motions of the of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Do you remember in the life of sin and shame outside of Christ, the motions of sin? What did sin bring? Despair, death, devastation. Anyone ever happy with sin? This pleasures of sin just last for a season, but what does it bring in the end? Did it, did it make you miserable? Did, did it bring you low? Did it bring you into bondage? Did it bring confusion? Did it bring mental torment? Did, did it bring you to a place of absolute feeling that there's no hope, there's no way, there's no, there's no life? But when Christ came, he breaks the power of sin in our lives, looses us from the bondage of sin, sets us free, and faith alone in Jesus Christ, we are loosed from the dominion and the mastery of sin. And sin no longer has what? Dominion over us. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. Not because of our strength. Not because of what we are. Not because of how we can do it. It's not in us. But it's by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God that he gives us the ability to overcome. Verse 6 says, But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Because the letter, what does it do? It kills us. But the spirit, it brings life. So the great struggles of many Christians and all believers will have a struggle against that old man. That's what Paul says, the flesh and the spirit, they war one with another. But the great struggles often aren't anything to do with so many other things that we look at and the distractions of this world. And even so many will look at it, well, it's demonic forces, it's demons, it's this, it's that, it's the other, I need this, I need that. Do you know what it simply is? It's again looking to Jesus Christ and putting our faith and our trust in him alone, knowing that I'm dead with Christ. And I'm alive through the resurrection power. How shall we that are dead? Paul then says, if we're dead, how can we live? How can we live any longer in sin? How can we continue on? How can we misrepresent or misuse the wonderful, abundant grace that God has given us? We're buried with him by baptism in the death, the baptism of death. And verse 7 says, for he that is dead, he's free. It reminds us of the, the, the Leviticus chapter 16, if you turn over to it for a moment. But here's another picture to show you what happens to our faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. In Leviticus 16, Aaron's instructed by the Lord that he would take two goats, verse 7. And he shall take two coats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's, the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. One goat, one of the two goats will be offered for a sin offering. 
But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive to the Lord to make atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Are you glad tonight there's a scapegoat? Christ died on the cross, paid our price through his own precious blood tonight, has paid the price for our sin. And who, who, has, let, who has let go? We are let loose tonight through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And the price and the penalty and the power of sin has been broken and dealt with through the Lord Jesus Christ because he paid it all in Calvary's tree. And tonight we're free in Jesus. That's what that means. We are free tonight. Let him go. He's loosed from the obligations of the law because we can't keep the law. We can't try to keep the law. And you'll come into condemnation and death and sin and despair. But put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and avail of the great grace of God tonight. And thank God that sin shall not have dominion over your life. There's great victory in Jesus. He has taken the price and paid the penalty for our sin. And so tonight you're free to go. It's no wonderful to be justified. Paul says don't take these things. And use them as an excuse to sin. To misrepresent what the grace of God really is. Don't take these things and use them as a license. Use them as a license to continue on in habitual sin. And live in whatever way you want to live. God forbid that we would do such a thing to the grace of God. To tarnish the grace of God. To misrepresent the grace of God. Don't do these things. Paul then brings the balance to what it is to know tonight that we're completely free in Jesus. He says in verse 8, Now we be dead with Christ. We believe. You see, there's an order here of understanding. If we believe, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe there's faith that we shall also live with him. So the life comes when we know and understand what it is to die. It's no longer I that liveth, but it is Christ that lives in me. And there is a conscious choice and decision that must be made in every life. Because there is a war, there is a battle, there is a flesh, there is a world, there is a devil. But Christ has overcome it all. Our faith is in him and by the power of the Holy Spirit. He desires that we live in the life that he has died to give us. The life of another. The victory that there is in Jesus. He doesn't want us to struggle. And and defeat. And under the dominion of sin. He's come to set us free. And he says don't use the. the, As it were in a cheap sense. The grace card. I can live this way. I can do this. I can commit this. And I can go whatever way I want to go. Because the grace of God. That's it. That's what Paul's saying. You've misrepresented what the grace is. If we're dead with Christ, we're going to live with him. We believe we are going to live with Jesus. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, he does not die anymore. He's the one that liveth forevermore. And then he says, look in verse 9. Death hath no more dominion over him. Praise the Lord. Death has no dominion over Jesus. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So we in turn, Paul then says, in the light of this, verse 11, everyone look at it, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. In the light of all of this, then he instructs the church, us, likewise reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. In other words, he's telling us that we have to consciously We have to consciously make a choice to reckon myself to be dead with Christ. Is there anything, next week we'll look what it is to be buried with him, but is there anything that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, not man, but the Holy Spirit would bring to mind that you just need to reckon yourself dead to? Is there anything? Is there anything tonight It's not, it's not, I need to do this or get a book or talk to this or do that or or I need special. Is there just something tonight that you need to say? I need to reckon myself to be dead to this. I am dead to this. 
but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 12, he then says, Let not sin, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, your body. Don't let it reign in your body that you should obey the lust thereof. Close the door, turn it off. Don't go to the place where you know you shouldn't go to. Don't listen to the things that you know you shouldn't listen to. Don't be in the company of people that you know you shouldn't be in the company of. Listen, this is the simple things. I know it's basic and so many people are living that that life and that victory, but these are the basic things. Don't do the things you know you shouldn't do. You don't need a preacher to tell you that. The Holy Ghost will tell you that. He'll speak to you and you know. I shouldn't do those things. I shouldn't go to that place. I shouldn't be watching what I'm watching. I shouldn't be listening to what I'm listening. I shouldn't be speaking the way I'm speaking. I shouldn't be holding what I'm holding. He says, reckon yourself. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Not just by the strength of you doing it yourself. But God is saying, I'll give you the abundant grace to live a life of victory in Jesus. I'll give you the grace to do it. But you've got to make a decision. You have to make a choice. That you should obey it and the lust thereof. Because you see, sin when it's finished always produces the same thing. It's that rotten death. Spiritual death. Verse 14. Listen to these words that Paul writes. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Praise the Lord. I mean, brothers and sisters. Praise the Lord. Sin shall not have. Listen. You listen to me tonight. Listen to God's word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. Here's the word of the Lord tonight. Saint, listen to me. For sin shall not have rule or reign over your mortal being. That doesn't mean that we don't fail. Not one of us are perfect, but Christ, the perfect one, is in our hearts by faith. This body, that's why it's not going to heaven. We're getting a new one. Because it's prone to wonder. It's prone to leave the God that we love. It lead us. The lust is working against the spiritual man. But sin shall not have dominion over you. Because we have the greater one on the inside. We are not under the law. Thank God we're not. Would you say amen? Anybody want to live under the law? You know, sometimes you say you're waiting on a bus and three come at the one time. But last week, three times, someone has approached me and says, Oh, you're the church that doesn't believe in the Old Testament. It all happened three times. I said, we believe in the Old Testament. We believe in the whole book. But we're just thankful we're not under the Old Testament. I'm so thankful that we're under the New Testament in His blood. The New Covenant in His blood. I love the Old Testament. But thank God tonight I'm under a New Covenant. Because I wouldn't want to be trying to live according to the law. Because I know, because I know that this frame has no ability to keep the law. That's what happens when we try to do it in our own strength. We do become legalist, legalistic, pharisaical. Oh, we have done it this week, Lord. Are you so proud of me? No. Our faith and our hope is in Jesus alone. We're nothing without Him. We're not under law, but we're under grace. What then? Here's questions again. Shall we sin? Listen to what Paul's asking. He's asking questions, looking for a response. What then? Shall we sin? Because of this great victory, freedom, deliverance, what we have in Jesus, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Does that mean then that we are free to do whatever we want? A lot of the teaching today would nearly imply that. And maybe even go beyond and imply it. There's no obligation in my life. I'm going to tell you something. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. Because we're not under law, but under grace, Paul says these words, God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Now listen, that's a very powerful thought. What you yield yourself to, 
is what you'll become a servant to. Think about that. What you yield your mind to, what you yield your body to, and what you yield your life to, that's what you'll come to serve. Years ago, I rebelled against the Lord and brought up in the right way, but went into that world. I yielded myself to that world. I give everything to that world, but that world became my master. I was a servant to sin, but I'm so thankful that one greater than the power of sin, one greater than the power of the devil came and set the prisoner free. But what you yield yourself to is what you'll become. You be careful what you agree with, what you come into agreement with. You be very careful that whatever's being said, here's important, whatever's being said, or whatever advice is coming, or whatever great counsel that you may hear, just turn to the Word of God. Brother or sister, can you just instruct me, where is that in the book? Where is it in the book? Where did you find that? Because an awful lot of things are coming today, not from the book, but from books. And people are yielding themselves to books that are under the Christian umbrella, and they become servants to what men think, rather than servants to Jesus. Brings them into bondage. Brings them into death. Brothers and sisters, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. In Galatians chapter 2, I'm just finishing with this. This is a great chapter. And there's a couple of verses that we'll know very, very well. In the chapter, we quote it and we, they're just wonderful verses. For example, verse 20 says, For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Just absolutely, when you just meditate and think and go over that verse, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I'm living. We're all here tonight. We're crucified with him, but we're living. But it's not us. This truly is is the revelation of living the life of another, as Brother Clendenin often would have preached and claimed, and certainly he did live that life. He did live that life. But it's Christ that's living in me. And the life which I live in this body, in this flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Faith of the Son of God. His faith in me. Who loved me. And he gave himself for me. Verse 21 says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. I will not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, if it comes by the works, then Christ is dead. He's dead in vain. It means nothing. It means nothing to the individual. The resurrection, the life, the joy, the victory, the forgiveness, the access, the justification, the love shed abroad in our hearts, the joy of the Lord. None of those things are a reality in the life because we're living the life Frustrating the grace of God. Doing it by our own works. What does it leave us? Empty. Death. Totally hopeless. What's Paul talking? You know you can read this when you go home. Because I want us to close. But you know there's a great conflict in the early church. One of the great conflicts that you'll read about happened. And in particular it happened with one of the great apostles. The apostle Peter. Peter was being influenced and persuaded and wasn't completely convinced, certainly, that in some way that the Gentiles who were being born again and brought into the kingdom through the power of the new birth and being baptized in the Holy Ghost, but in some way there was a two-tier Christianity that was developing in the early church. It was Paul the Apostle who told us of his great testimony that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a great scholar, But he understood and had the revelation as he was 
raised up by the Lord that bear his name to the Gentiles. When he came, it tells us earlier on in these verses, I stood up to Peter. Because what was happening is that they were starting to bring in uh, the teaching that a man must be outwardly the works circumcised in order for him to be kosher as a follower of Christ. Paul said, no, 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 no. That's not the way it is. We need to keep the works, the activity, the old covenant, and the obligations of that completely out of this new covenant. This is faith alone in Jesus Christ. Peter, you're wrong. That's what Paul said. James was influenced by it. And so we've seen this. Brothers and sisters, there's not two tiers in Christianity. There's Jew, Gentile, Greek, bond and free. But if you're saved tonight, praise the Lord, we're all washed in the same blood and we're drinking from the same spirit. And we need to be so careful. We really do because so much of the last days we see the infiltration of so many things coming into the church works. And even some of the first test, the the early church, some of these things are even creeping into the church again. They're coming in again, bringing us back under the obligation of the traditions and, 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 and the Old Testament and circumcision and ceremonial. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. It is enough that Jesus died, as we heard, and that he died for me. We need to be so careful that it's faith alone in Jesus Christ and it's not by the works of any law because he fulfilled all of it that we are loosed and free tonight in Jesus. And so it's simply for us again coming back to the simplicity of the cross that it's enough. It is enough. All the struggles of everything of these lives and all the weariness and all the worn of the flesh Tonight is just a wonderful thing to know I'm crucified with Christ. Dead with him. I'm loosed from the obligation. And herein we stand by his grace. Titus tells us, believe us, Titus tells us what the grace of God really is. That it is to depart from evil. Brothers and sisters, tonight this is the victory. We're dead with him. Next week, we need to look at him. We need to be buried with him. You know, some things just need to be buried. Just bury it. And then there's the resurrection. And then there's the walk and the victory and the newness of life. Thank God for Jesus tonight. He's everything, isn't he? He's absolutely everything tonight, brothers and sisters. He's everything to each one of us in this room. We give him all the praise. wonder could we just thank him tonight. If you're justified by faith, you have access. We have a few minutes here just to thank the Lord. We have access by faith right in to the throne of grace tonight. What a wonderful privilege to come to the throne of grace through faith. wonder could we thank him for a few minutes. Just give him thanks. Lift him up tonight. Praise him for who he is tonight. Give him all the glory. Give him all the praise tonight. He deserves it tonight, brothers and sisters. We're here to give him all the praise in Jesus' name. Let's thank him tonight.